This morning we're going to start in Acts chapter 16, the familiar story, Paul and Silas in prison. The latest numbers I could find, the estimate is that there's about 2.2 million prisoners in the U.S. It costs anywhere from fourteen dollars to $60,000 to house those prisoners annually, depending on which state it's in. There's a few things that those prisoners have in common. Some deserve to be there. A few are mistakenly put there, but I guarantee you every one of them, they all want out. I don't think that's a stretch to assume that. Well, when you look in Acts chapter 16, that last characteristic does not apply to two prisoners that we find, and that's Paul and Silas. They are fine right where they are because they're looking at it as an opportunity to serve the Lord. They were servants of God, Paul and Silas, missionaries sent to spread the gospel. They were doing so, and they were in Philippi doing this when they came across a young girl who was possessed by a demon. If you look at Acts chapter 16, verses 16 and 17, you see this girl was possessed by a demon, and she could tell the future. Well, as Paul and Silas went by every day to go to the place of prayer, she would say, hey, those guys are servants of the Most High God, and they're here to tell you how to be saved. Well, this happened a few times. So Paul, after this happened a few times, exercised the demon from this girl and she was immediately healed. Great for the girl, not for the people who owned her and were making money off of her. They were not very happy that she no longer had the ability to tell the future. So they had false charges brought up against Paul and Silas, had them beaten and thrown in jail, which is exactly what happened. But instead of trying to escape or wanting out, Paul and Silas took advantage of the opportunity that they had. They were in no hurry to escape. Look at verse 20. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. Then the mob joined in attack against them. There's great confusion. There's disruption in the city. They're angry. A mob forms to attack them and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. They were beaten severely. Remember, false charges. They don't deserve this. They're getting beaten, thrown in jail. After they had inflicted many wounds on them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. So now they're in jail. They're shackled. Backs torn to pieces. Just a swollen mass of flesh. Verse 24, receiving such an order, he put them in the inner prison, secured their feet in stocks. So how do Paul and Silas respond? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword, and he was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice and said, Don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Verse 29, The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him, along with everyone in the house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. Paul and Silas viewed being in prison as just another opportunity to share the gospel. Hey, this is just a whole new crop of people who don't know Jesus. And they took advantage of that. They were thrown in jail, false charges trumped up against them, beaten, 
But instead of getting angry, they took advantage. They sang hymns, they praised God, and the result was that an earthquake rocked the jailhouse that night. The house was rocked. The jailhouse was rocked, and no, it wasn't Elvis. And I recognize that's cheesy, but my daughter loves this title, so I'm going with it, all right? I'm going with this theme. She's not here today, but she liked it, so we're going with it. it the jailhouse was rocked, but it wasn't rocked by Elvis or any other, other method. It was rocked by the Holy Spirit. And as a result, people's lives would never be the same as a result of what happened that night. The power of God rocked this house, and in a couple of different ways, we see that manifest itself. First of all, courage rocked the house that night. We see Paul and Silas. They're spreading the gospel. They're doing what they're called to do. And suddenly, in verse 20, you see that the whole community, there was disruption. There was confusion. They didn't like what was going on. They exercised this, the demon in this girl. The owners, they weren't concerned about her. They were concerned about their money. And, and this mob forms. They, they get this mob going against them. But they would not, Paul and Silas would not be deterred. They stayed faithful. They, they had courage. Hey, after they were beaten and thrown into prison, their backs, nothing more than, than just a mess of, of swollen, bloody, lacerated skin, they wouldn't even have even been able to lay down because if they had, their, their backs would have been torn up even more, not to mention the shackles on their feet. In the midst of pain, they had great courage. How did they respond? They, they didn't get mad. They didn't get angry. Let's be honest. If this were us, if any of, any of us in here, we would be tempted, number one, to throw a pity party. And reasonably so. I've never had my back torn up like this. I'm not pretending to know what they went through. If not that, we would get angry at the people who did it to us. We didn't do anything wrong. We don't deserve to be here. And if nothing else, we would get mad at God. God, I'm trying to serve you. Why did you let me get into this situation? But how did Paul and Silas respond? Well, they didn't get angry. They didn't grow bitter. They have a worship service. They prayed and sang hymns and praised God in the midst of all of this, which is so, which teaches us an important lesson. We need to be willing to go where we are sent, wherever that is. If God places us somewhere, we need to be willing to serve Him whenever and wherever He places us, regardless of whether or not it's something that I wanted. Go, we need to be willing to go, even though it probably wasn't my plan, and I need to be willing to praise God even if I don't feel it in my heart because of the circumstances. When we look at this, going has very little, listen to this, going has very little to do with geography. Going has everything to do with willingness. Am I willing to go wherever God leads? And am I willing to serve Him even if it wasn't my plan? And even if the circumstances aren't to my liking? Because there are going to be a lot of times in life where we find ourselves in those situations where the circumstances aren't great. But I've got to be willing to do what God calls me to do, I guarantee you, without a doubt, even though the Scripture doesn't say this, I guarantee you this was not Paul and Silas' plan. That they would not have chosen to be beaten within an inch of their life and thrown in prison and shackled under false charges. This wasn't their plan. They didn't choose to do this. But instead of complaining or calling on God to smite their enemies... They praised God, and they had a worship service that ended up changing the lives of the jailer and who knows who else in this, in this jail. 
because they allowed their heart's realities to overcome their physical realities, and because they found joy in Christ alone and not their current circumstances, they praised God and they had a worship service, even in the midst of difficult circumstances and intense, agonizing pain. They brought glory to God. And think about this, too. This is something that just rocks me. Talking about rocking something, this rocks me. They had no reason to expect a miracle here. Yeah, Peter had been had been rescued, delivered a few chapters earlier, but Stephen and James had also been martyred just a few chapters earlier. So they didn't know, hey, God may rescue us, God may not rescue us, but we trust in Him. And we're going to praise Him regardless of what the circumstances are and what the end result is in this life because we know we're secure in the hands of God. They were willing to go where God sent them. And another important lesson, the reality is our circumstances are always beyond our control. But in those moments where everything seems to be falling apart around you, praise God anyway. And I'm going to tell you why in a few moments. Because sometimes the world seems to be falling apart. And you've all, we've all been there, right? In those moments where we don't know, we can't put the pieces back together. There's just too many of them. And life is a mess. In those moments, praise God anyway. Why? Why did Paul and Silas do this? Because first of all, they believed that God could deliver them. There was no question he could deliver them if he chose to. But even if he chose not to... They trusted in his plan for their lives. And they trusted that their lives were secure in his hands. This reminds me so much of the Old Testament. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 3. They were told by Nebuchadnezzar to bow before the false god he had created. And instead of doing that, they, they refused because they would not worship anyone other than the true God. And here's what happened. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 3, replied to the king, he told them, hey, if you don't bow, I'm throwing you into this fiery furnace that's been heated seven times hotter than normal, by the way. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. They're not being disrespectful. They're just saying, hey, we serve a God that's bigger than our circumstances, bigger than you. We don't, we don't have to answer you in this question. If God, if the God, and listen to this, if the God we serve exists, not if he does or doesn't, if he does, and he does, by the way, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from your power. No one's more powerful than God. But even if he chooses not to rescue us, how many of us can say this? Even if he chooses not to, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. And what happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're immediately released. They've got faith, boldness. No. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times hotter, and then he ended up throwing them in. So they stood firm. They had faith, but they still had to go through the fire. Sometimes God rescues out of the fire. Sometimes he rescues through the fire. But if you read further in Daniel chapter 3, Jesus was right there with them. And I do believe that it was Jesus after studying this passage. God will be with you. And that's what Paul and Silas knew. Hey, we may have to go through more fire. They'd already been through some. But even if we do, God's not going to abandon us. He's got a plan that's bigger than our circumstances. So what about us? What about when we're in, at midnight? And midnight 
literally, figuratively, whatever. When the world's come crashing down, our circumstances are horrible, you've lost your job, your kids have gone astray, whatever the case may be, your health is failing, what do we do in, at midnight when our whole world has come crashing down? Well, that all depends on what you really believe about God. Because the reality is, you don't learn your theology at midnight, you discover it. It's in those moments where you really find out what you really believe. Whether what you believe is what you say you believe or not. It's in those dark moments where if you don't believe, you're going to get angry, you're going to get discouraged, you're going to grow bitter. But if you do believe that God is who He says He is, that He has a plan and that He's, he's in control of your life, you're going to have faith You're not going to be happy about it, but you're going to have faith and you're going to be secure in the midst of your difficult circumstances. And it leads to another reality here. If we truly believe that God is in control, that He is sovereign, that He has a plan, and that that nothing in life happens by mistake or nothing happens without His knowing, then if you are a child of God, you believe that if God is in control, In every circumstance, in every situation, His hands are at work leading you from where you are at this moment to where He wants you to be the next moment. God's in control. And if you truly believe that, you can praise God in the midst of a midnight jail cell where your world has come crashing down. Paul and Silas sang because they knew that God had called them to take the gospel to Asia Minor. So in that sense, they knew their job was not complete. But hey, aside from that, Paul's driving force in life was to share the gospel. And every time we see him in prison, we see the same attitude. Hey, I'm in prison. Guess what? There are lost people. I can do what I'm called to do. I'm going to share the gospel. They sang because they were getting to do what they were called to do. Share the gospel. They sang. They sang because they knew it wasn't the Roman official who put them in jail. It was Jesus who put them there with purpose, with intent. There was a jailer who needed to know Jesus, and God had placed Paul and Silas there to lead him to Christ. They had a purpose. They sang because they knew God was in control, and he had placed them there, that he was bigger than any Roman official or even Caesar himself. God is God. They sang because they knew if they survived, in the end they would be better men for it, spiritually and in terms of maturity. Look at Philippians 1.29. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. And Paul talks about, hey, I want to identify with Christ even through His suffering. If it brings me closer to Jesus, then I want to do it. Whatever it takes. The language in Acts tells us that they were continually praying. They never stopped. They just kept going, hey, they're probably dressing each other's wounds and they're singing and praising the whole time. A.T. Robertson said it was a new experience for the prisoners around them and wondrously attractive entertainment to them. And just a side note here, folks, this speaks to when lost people come into this, this place on Sunday morning. If we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, they may not know what they're experiencing, but they will experience something they never have before. And the Holy Spirit will move through this place freely. And I do believe it's possible for us to hinder the Holy Spirit if we're disobedient, if we don't worship the Lord. But if we do worship Him, the Holy Spirit will move freely and touch lives and people's lives will be changed by the power of God. If we worship the Lord, the house that night rocked with praise. Paul and Silas rocked the house with praise, and then God rocked the house with his power and presence. And that can 
should and will happen every Sunday when we come together if we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. This house will be rocked like never before, and people's lives will be changed, rescued from hell and into heaven, and there will be reason for celebration. God can do anything, anywhere, anytime, any place. He can save anyone, anywhere, anytime, any place, even in a Roman jail, by two guys who are chained with their backs torn to shreds. Praise the Lord, and He will change lives. Worship the Lord, and He will work. All the doors were opened. The prisoners' chains came loose. They could have escaped, but instead, they were all held captive by this worship service that were going on. That was going on, and the power of God, the presence. Some of them probably said, "Hey, I don't know what's going on here, but but this is a better place than I've ever been, and I want to stay right here." They they, they didn't go anywhere, and that's when we see the second reality, and that's that compassion rocked the house. Courage now compassion. The prisoners were listening to the hymns while the, while the jailer's doing what? He's losing his mind. <laughs> Reasonably, rightfully so. Look at verse 27. The jailer woke up. When he woke up, he saw that the doors of the prison were open. He drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now he runs in, sees the jail cells are open, and he can't evidently see the prisoners. He thinks they're all gone, and he prepares to fall on his sword. Well, in this day and time, if you were a Roman soldier, a jailer, and you were in charge of a prisoner, if that prisoner escaped, then you had to suffer the punishment that was due that prisoner. So evidently, some of those people in that jail had committed murder, and this guy decided, hey, I'd rather take my own life than suffer Roman execution. And if you need to know why, just study crucifixion for a couple of hours, 10 minutes, when you've got some spare time. And how agonizing and painful that was a way to, that, way to go. And so he says, I'm just going to take my own life. I'd rather, I'd rather take my life than to suffer the punishment of the Roman government. Now, again, let's put ourselves there. <laughs> if it's us and this guy, he had supervised our arrest, maybe even hit us a few times himself, shackled us, thrown us into jail, and suddenly he's going to take his own life and we're going to have a free ticket out of there, no more shackles, what would many of us do? Listen, I'd like to sit here and say I would do exactly what Paul and Silas did, but I don't know because I haven't been in that situation, but let me tell you what we should do. We should do exactly what they did. Instead of letting them go through with it, they said, hey, wait, no, no, you're good. You're good. We're all here. Nobody's left. we're, We've got a a mission here, and you're part of it, and, and we're not going anywhere. They were concerned. They had compassion For this guy who had thrown them in jail, they were concerned for his security. They were concerned. They they didn't want him to hurt himself. They were concerned for his safety. They reassured him, hey, we're all here. You don't have to worry about the Roman government. Verse 28, Paul said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. He didn't have to worry about the Roman government because all of the prisoners were right where they were supposed to be, which is a lesson for us from the prisoners. Stay where you're put. Now, listen, this doesn't mean that I should never try to change my circumstances. doesn't mean that I should accept every bad thing that comes to me. If God calls you to change something, then change it. If not, then stay where you are. Uh, This is talking about contentment. Be willing to serve God where He puts you until He moves you somewhere else. Because if you get ahead of God, no matter how bad your circumstances are now, they're going to be far worse if you move and He doesn't tell you to move we got to be willing to serve God where we are. 
regardless of what's going on in our lives, he's going to give us opportunities to be a witness for him, and we've got to be willing to serve him and pray for contentment. Pray that, hey, God, change my circumstances if that's your will, but above all, give me contentment in the middle of, of my circumstances. Paul and Silas stayed put because God had placed, him there, placed them there. They had a mission, and they weren't going to leave until that mission was complete. They had concern for the jailer, his safety, his security, but most importantly, they were concerned for his soul, which we'll see in a moment. They displayed that. They were concerned for his soul. They showed compassion on him, and as a result, his life and ultimately his soul was saved. There was an article that came out a few years ago. A a 911 dispatcher was suspended because she kept falling asleep during calls. Okay, Think about that. This is 911. This isn't like Pizza Hut where you're calling to order a pizza. These people are calling with emergencies. In one call, she answered. There was silence, and then in a few seconds, you can hear her snoring on the other end. Another call, somebody's kitchen was on fire. It took her 10 seconds to answer. Now think about it, 10 seconds to answer the phone, and then another 40 seconds to contact the fire department to get them there. She kept falling asleep. Now, maybe she had two jobs, okay? I'm, you know, maybe she was tired. But, but if you have to work two jobs, 911 dispatcher is probably not a good choice for one of them. But she was just falling asleep. These people are, are, are needing help, and she's, she's snoozing away. She got suspended for it, rightfully so. It makes me ask, do we have the kind of compassion not just, hey, your house is on fire. Yeah, I think we would all be compassionate there. But do we have the kind of compassion for other people and their needs, most importantly their soul, that Paul and Silas had? Or are we just asleep to the needs of others around us? Hey, it's easy to get wrapped up in your circumstances. Life's tough. Sometimes it's, it's harder than others. Your world comes crashing down. It's easy to praise God when everything's going well. But when your world comes crashing down, do you praise God anyway? When your life is filled with, with difficult circumstances, are you able to take your focus off of yourself and have compassion to people who might be a little worse off than you because, hey, maybe they don't know Christ. And even if your world came to an end, you, the next face you would see is Jesus. But what about those other folks who don't know Jesus? We need to have compassion for others like Paul and Silas did for this jailer. They were concerned for his physical safety, but again, they were concerned for his soul, and that's why we see next, conversion rocks the house. When God calls, it's easy for us to say, you know what, God, I'm busy. I got four kids. You know, some of them require more attention than others. I've got a job. I've got a wife. I've got problems. I've got bills to pay. I'm busy. There's just too much going on. I'm not a good speaker. I, you know, I'm, I'm not bold enough to share my faith. I don't know what to say. By the way, if, if you have been saved, you can describe what that feels like. You can share your testimony. But there's a million excuses. We can come up with a million excuses as to why we shouldn't do it. But here's the issue. The issue is not what's going on in my life personally. The issue isn't my personal preference. The issue here is that when God calls... How do I respond? And again, it shows what I believe because in those moments where the heat's on, those hardest decisions, we usually don't get advance notice about when those tough times come, do we? It's probably a good thing because we'd probably head for the hills if we did. 
But in those difficult times, in those moments where your world comes crashing down, your life, your, your hopes and dreams are shattered by the blunt force trauma of reality, it's in those moments where we really discover what we believe. And in those moments, if we're faced with a choice, do we obey God or do we not? In those trials and tribulations, when we don't have time to think about it, and our reaction shows what's really in our heart. Paul and Silas passed the test. They really believed what they said they believed. The reality is it doesn't surprise me that that Paul and Silas sang in prison. Some of God's best work gets done in prisons. John Bunyan went to prison for teaching the gospel, and he ended up writing Pilgrim's Progress. Dietrich Bonhoeffer went to jail in World War II and died testifying to the grace of God. Chuck Colson went to prison for his role in Watergate, and in that, God gave him a vision for prison fellowship ministries. Some of God's best work gets done in prisons figuratively, literally, and figuratively. Some of you may be in another kind of prison, but in those toughest moments of life, if we open ourselves up to God and if we depend on Him, that's when He teaches us the most. And we learn things there that we never could in any other way. John Piper said, The universe exists so that we may live in a way that demonstrates that Jesus is more precious than life. When tragedy strikes, life comes caving in, your world crashes around you, everything seems to be going wrong, you find yourself in a place you never thought you would be, you have to make a choice. Or you learn whether or not you believe, is God enough or is He not enough? Is Jesus, like Paul, knowing Him, is it more precious than life or is it not? Is Christ enough? Is he sufficient for all circumstances? And hey, you can sit there and I'd I'd probably be with you. You can sit there and say, hey, preacher, it's easy for you to say that. Maybe you're not going through something difficult. Well, no, right now, maybe not. But in, in the past, in my life, I have gone through some difficult stuff. We've all had trials and tribulations. And have I, have I passed this test every time? No, probably not. But ultimately, God got my attention and I came around to the reality that his plan is better for me than anything that I could ever imagine. And I'm standing here today testifying to the fact that God is sufficient. And he can take care of you better than you or anybody else can. And even if your worlds come crashing down, that's not his final plan for you. His final plan for you is heaven and eternity with him and glory with no pain and suffering. Your circumstances, yes, he's allowed them for a reason, and I can't tell you why, but they're here, and the best thing to do is just to trust him, and trust him from day to day, one step at a time. The reality is anybody can sing how great is our God when life is going well, when your kids are doing well, and your job's good, you're securing your job, you love your church, your marriage is strong, and everything's peachy, but when life gets tough, can you still sing? God is great, and he's sufficient. Yeah, Jesus loves me. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. But if you can sing and praise anyway, then God will be faithful. Not only will you discover what you believe in times of trouble, the people around you will discover what you believe. And just like last week, our our Jesus celebration needs to be heard from miles away. Those other jailers, those other prisoners in that jailer, they heard Paul and Silas' Jesus celebration, and his life was changed forever. He saw them. Singing in the midst of pain. He felt their compassion. Hey, you're good. We're still here. We're not going to run out on you. We don't want you to lose your life because your soul 
is what's most important. He experienced that. He probably heard that demon-possessed girl testify to who they were. Regardless, in that moment, maybe his life flashed before his eyes when he was about to take in his own life and God brought him under conviction. But regardless of what happened, in that moment, he saw these guys have something that I want and I need. He saw their celebration and he said, man, that's missing from my life. I'm lost. I don't even know what lost means, but I know I'm lost and I need Jesus. The jailer realized that he was lost and he said, what must I do to be saved? Regardless of the reason, he knew he was lost. The Holy Spirit brought him under conviction. What must I do to be saved? And, and listen, folks, this, whether they are saying it in these words or not, this is what the lost world is screaming today. Where do I find hope? What's the meaning of it all? Why am I here? I mean, suicide rates among college students right now are horrifying. People are, are, are miserable and their divorce rates are, are exploding. I mean, families are falling apart. And people are saying, why am I here? What's the meaning of it all? What they're saying is, is save me, somebody. What must I do to be saved? And we as God's people need to be ready and willing to give them the answer because we've got it. You know, I can't tell you how to fly a plane. I've never flown a plane. Mike can tell you how to fly a plane. I can't. But I can tell you what it feels like to fly on a plane. I can't save you, okay? Let me just go ahead and tell you. I'm I'm a mortal man. I can't save you. I'm going to do my best to help you and minister to you. But I can tell you how to be saved because I've experienced it. I know what it's like to have my life changed, to be rescued from sin and death. I can tell you all about that. As long as you want to hear it, I can tell you. We can share. We've got the answer. To why am I here? What's my purpose? What's the meaning of it all? How, do I, how can I be saved? And that's what Paul and Silas did. They shared the gospel. Verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you will be saved. You and your whole household. They didn't say, hey, if you join this church, you'll be saved. Church membership's important. They didn't say, if you follow these rules, Jews had a lot of rules, laws, God-made and man-made. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And they show us the steps to conversion here. First, there has to be a realization of lostness. I've got to come to terms with the fact the Holy Spirit brings me under conviction and I have to agree with God, yes, I've sinned. I've done things wrong. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then there has to be belief in Christ. Paul and Silas said, believe in who? Believe in Jesus. No matter what the world says, Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Jesus himself said, no man comes to the Father except by me. No, that's not to exclude people. That's just to show you, hey, if, I mean, if, if we were lost in a cave and I knew the way out, you'd want me to tell you, right? If you're lost, I'm telling you, the only way out is through Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. We've got to come to a belief that Jesus is who he says he is and that he died for my sins, was raised from the dead, and that's the only way I'll be raised from the dead. Belief in Christ, and then discipling in the Word. Paul and Silas opened the Bible, and they began to, to, from the Word, they explained salvation from beginning to end. We believe in Christ, and then immediately we need to get in the Word of God, and the Word of God needs to get in us. Discipling in the Word, and then they were baptized. He and his whole family was baptized. Now, does this mean that because he was saved, his family was automatically saved? No, look at the wording here. In the original language, Paul is obviously talking to people in this jailer's family that were old enough to hear and believe. 
And the wording here does not mean, hey, if you're saved, your whole family will be saved too. No, he's saying, if you and your family believe, your whole household will be saved. Every person is responsible for believing themselves. I can't be saved for you. You can't be saved for me. No salvation by proxy. Infant baptism. This is an argument for infant baptism. Again, evidently everybody in the house could understand, could praise the Lord, and were able to believe according to what the Scriptures tell us. Verse 32 and 34. So you have to believe yourself, but then the final step to conversion is that if I'm saved, my life's going to show it. There's going to be an evidence of a changed life here. I mean, it's going to be evident in how I live. This jailer, once he was saved, he immediately began to make restitution. He took Paul and Silas home, and he bandaged, he treated their wounds. In John 13, Jesus says we need to wash each other's feet, and we certainly need to do that. We need to serve one another. But we also need to wash the wounds that we inflict on other people as well. I don't know if he beat him or not. He probably had a part in that. But regardless, he knew he played a role, and so he was going to, do his best to heal the wounds that he had caused or that he was a part of. So he's making restitution. His life has changed. Paul and Silas' ministry to this jailer went far beyond just repairing his damaged emotions, saving his physical life. They shared the gospel with him. He was saved and his life was changed forever. And I want to illustrate that this morning before we finish. I brought a couple of things with me here. Two cups. We're going to say that these cups represent our lives and the water that I'm going to pour in them represent our lives. So we all start out lost a certain way, and we're not clean, but for the purpose of illustration, this water represents our lives before Christ. We are as we are. We're lost, separated from God. Now what is this called? A cup of what? Hot water, and it is hot. If I spill it on myself, you'll know for sure that it's hot. So this is us without Christ. This tea bag represents Jesus and his word. Just for the sake of argument, no, I'm not trying to make God small, but just for the sake of argument, this is Christ. And when we accept Jesus, his Holy Spirit, he comes into our lives. And the minute he comes into our lives, our lives are changed. They begin to change. Immediately, something takes place here. The water begins to change color. The appearance is different. In just a minute, I'm going to be able to smell the difference, the aroma of tea. I mean, the, the physical appearance is different the minute this tea bag goes in. It begins to change, and that's what happens. When Jesus enters our life, we're immediately changed. We're forgiven of sin, cleansed of sin, and we're immediately changed. But the Bible also says, Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Notice the order. Paul and Silas led the jailer to the Lord and then immediately began to disciple him in the word of God. And that's what needs to happen. Once you come to Christ, you need to start being discipled in the word of God. You need to be in Christ. He is in you and his word needs to be in you. And notice now, the longer this is in here, the more it's going to be like tea. Now, what is this called? Cup of hot water. What is this called? It's a cup of tea. It's a new identity, right? Completely different. And that's what happens when we accept Christ, when we allow his word into our lives, when we allow Jesus and his word to dwell in us richly, our life is changed. I'm no longer like Alan Hayes. I am now becoming like Christ. And the evidence of my salvation is now seen in the life that I live. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to blow it from time to time. 
you know, none of us are perfect, but consistently I begin to grow and be transformed in the image of God. Now, if I leave this, the longer I leave this tea bag in here, what's going to happen? The stronger it's going to get, the darker it's going to get, the more I'm going to smell the aroma of this tea. The longer it's here, the more it's transformed. And the more I spend time with Christ and the more I allow His Word to dwell in me richly, the more I become like Jesus. And the more my life will show it. The evidence of a life changed is seen in the life lived. Plain and simple. Allow Christ to dwell in you richly and everybody around you will see it. Your life will never be the same. That jailer, his life and his family was forever changed that day by the power of God. And it all started with two prisoners beaten, swollen, bloody mass on their back, can't even lay down, shackled to the floor. It all started with two guys who were willing to accept, hey, God put us here for a reason. It is not pleasant, but we're going to praise him anyway because there's lost people that need Jesus and we've got an opportunity to serve. It all started with two guys who were willing to be faithful to where God called them to serve him wherever God placed them. So the question for us, are we willing to allow the presence of God, his word to transform us to where we begin to look at the world through his eyes, to where we're motivated to be compassionate, courageous, and willing to testify and share our salvation story with a lost world that needs Christ so that we will see the conversion, people's lives changed, coming to Christ. That's the question. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the testimony of those who have gone before us, who have been faithful, not perfect, but God, they were faithful and courageous because they had your spirit within them. They knew that and they were unwilling to compromise in their faith. And regardless of where you placed them, regardless of the difficult circumstances, they praised you and they served you and you used them to draw people to yourself. May we be those type of people. May we be willing to serve you regardless of whether it's comfortable, regardless of whether it's a part of our plan. And Lord, I pray that as a result, we would see people's lives changed. And maybe there's somebody here today who, who through this worship service and the preaching of your word, they, they, like that jailer, have come to the realization that something is missing from their lives. And they know, they may not even understand what, what it means to be lost, but they know they're lost. And they know they've done things wrong like we all have. And, and Father, they're ready to believe because you've brought them, Holy Spirit, under your conviction. They're ready to believe in your son, Jesus. And Jesus, that you died for their sins. That you are the only way to heaven. That you were raised from the dead so that we too could be raised from the dead and spend eternity with you. And if there's somebody here today who doesn't know you, I pray that during this invitation they would come and receive the gift of eternal life. There may be other decisions, Father. You may be leading some to join this church. You may be leading some to be baptized. You may be leading some to make other, other professions, other rededications, whatever it is, Father. I pray that in this moment, we would just allow you to speak to our hearts and that we would respond obediently to what you ask us to do. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?